We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. We need those times of refreshing desperately in the American church today. It's called revival. And revival, we simply mean a new level of obedience, a new zeal, a new crying out after God, a turning aside from the things of the world. As you said yesterday, Alexandra, it's taking on a war mentality. What do you mean by that? Well, as we heard in the opening song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, and there's other songs too, like Onward Christian Soldiers, 
When we become Christians, we're transferring our loyalty from Satan and sin and darkness to now we're transferring it to God. And so now there's a war on sin. If we, if we truly mean it, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we're going to have this mentality that sin or anything that opposes the kingdom of God is not acceptable. And so we won't be passive about it, but we'll be very active in trying to turn back the tide of evil. And in the messages to the seven churches in Revelation, I urge you to read those again. It's very clear. Jesus has very specific things that he has against his church. And those things have to be dealt with. And one of the questions that Alexander and I have been talking about today in fact are the people who are in the church but walking in sin are they saved well they think they're saved but are they saved I mean that's kind of a no brainer you're not saved if you're still walking in sin because we're to be saved from sin yes so we can be in the culture of the church and be dead Yes. In the church to Ephesus, the Lord said, you've left your first love. And if you don't return, I'm going to come and take the light stand, the lampstand, out. And the lampstand symbolizes the churches in Revelation. So he'll remove that church. So we've been sharing about revival, and we want to share further today about revival the Argentine revival uh, we shared with you in the last weeks the book by R. Edward Miller Dr. Miller was the evangelist the pastor in Mendoza Argentina where the outpouring began that story is so powerful and there's much more to it. It is still ongoing to this day. It's now spreading in Brazil and in other South American countries. When God moves, everything changes. Now, very quickly, we have two things we need to say to you. First, we have an apology. We were to have a special interview with Jeff King, the president of International Christian Concern. We were to have that interview on Friday. It was to be live at the very last minute. In fact, while we were almost to the station as we were driving to the radio station, we received a phone call from his secretary that something had happened. He would not be able to be with us. We apologize for that. We will work on rescheduling that interview. We'll let you know when it's going to take place. It is of utmost importance, the work that these people are doing for the persecuted church. They are the bridge between the Western church and the persecuted church. He will have much to share with us, and we're eager to have him on the air. Now, secondly, we spent three days out of last week with offertories. And when we last went off the air, we were $840 short of being able to pay for the month of January. Some of you have so amazed me 
by your generosity and your love. One dear man, he made a pledge for $20. Then he increased it $30, so it was a $50 pledge. And then as the broadcast went on, he called in and said, no, let's make it a $100 pledge. And then after we went off air and still did not have the goal, he sent even another $100. It was this kind of sacrifice that put us over. Another man who had already given $120 sent an additional amount of money. One woman sent us the sweetest note. Uh, and Sister Linda, we want to thank you. Thank you, Sister Linda. We like that you put Sister Linda. I'd like to put your note on the fridge. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to encourage us. So thank you, and thank you for each one of you who so generously gave. Now, the money is covered for January if all of the pledges come in. If not, uh, we'll have to pray through what we do. And probably we'll need to come back and tell you that the pledges haven't come in and open it again. But today we are going to focus on revival. So I'd like to open with prayer. Lord, as we come with Pilgrim's Progress, we are eager to make progress in this journey toward heaven. And we are eager for the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit to turn the hearts of your people from darkness to the light, from sin to righteousness, to make your people a warrior people, not with weapons of the flesh or of the devil, but with weapons of heaven. Lord, come quickly now. And Lord, would you bless this broadcast and each person who listens to it, would you, would you lift us today into your presence? In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, we're Ray and Jan Greenlee, and we're glad to be with you. Alexandra? Yes. What did I say? Jan. Oh, I am to be shot. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm not upset. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Yes, and my producer just whispered in my ear, please correct your wife's name. Yes, it's Alexandra. Okay. Now, that threw me off. We're going to read another story about the revival in Argentina. We are, but before we do... There are some basic principles that I want to outline that you're going to see coming into play. These are the basic principles of any revival. If God is moving, he moves in the same, according to the same principles of righteousness. These are principles outlined by Dr. Miller in a second book that he's written. And we're going to share the stories from that book. First of all, he says in his church, God desires the Holy Spirit to operate through the leadership of divinity. Ministers rather than men, 
trying to establish their own. It is God who comes. It is a supernatural work of God that we are called to cooperate with and to enter into. Now, in his church, God desires repentance to be a continual state rather than an isolated event or experience. In other words, repentance needs to be a very key part of the church with a continual call for accountability. When was the last time in church you were held accountable and asked, have you sinned today? And if so, what was that sin? And could we pray for you? That was John Wesley's accountability group. In his church, God ordains that the development of the fruit of the Spirit balance the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. There needs to be a full transformation in lives rather than only some initial experience of salvation or baptism in the Holy Spirit. In other words, what we're talking about with revival is not a flash in the pan. It becomes a lifestyle of the church as the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, leaves the occupation of the world, the concern of the world, the entertainment of the world, the foolishness of the world, the vanity of the world, and focuses entirely in this warrior spirit that you've spoken of, Alexander. Now, in his church, God desires to provide financially through faith and prayer rather than through the operation of human methods, programs, and appeals. God pays for what he orders. In his church, God desires a full and free operation of expression in praise and worship in their various phases. He wants the spirit of prophecy to rest upon his people. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In his church, God teaches his children to move into his presence through worship and praise with continual cleansing of their hearts. There's nothing, Alexander, there is nothing uglier to me than praise and worship of a sinful people who are not sold out to Jesus. It's, it's an oxymoron. It's, it's impossible. And then to expect the presence of God to come into a church because of praise and worship where sin is not confronted or dealt with. And to have leaders of that praise and worship who are obviously walking in sin. Homosexuality in some churches, it doesn't work. Now, want to share with you the continued story of revival in Argentina. I want to share with you what faith inspired and the one who is a consuming fire who wants to come and burn in the hearts of every child of God. This is not for a select few. This is for all Christians who are sold out, who have left the life of wickedness and are now made righteous by the blood of Jesus in reality, not in some false grace covering. 
He desires his ministers to be flames of fire. For only those who have been set aflame by the power of his fire can be a positive influence for his kingdom. Only when love, anointing, compassion, and the whole life have been set aflame for God can there be true spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit himself is the flame that kindles love into passion and consumes the flesh and the carnal, as the sun is the flame that consumes itself, bringing life, light, and fire, and power into our world, so even the Holy Spirit is the divine fire that sets aflame and kindles fire in the hearts of his people. So we want to share this story with you. And Alexandra, would you begin with the first story? Yes, and this chapter is called Fire in the South Forest. This is from Dr. Miller's second book on the revival in Argentina. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Alexander, the Polish lad, in the small hamlet of City Bell, he said, Argentina. I am sending you a powerful wave, but woe unto you if you reject it and it return to me. In 1949, in the Andean town of Mendoza, that powerful wave began to flow for the first time to a small group of six cold, disinterested, apathetic church members. Overnight, they were transformed into believers aflame with the glory of the fire of the Lord who went out into the streets of the city and brought others with them to God's house. Within six months, the church was filled with new converts, saved, healed, and filled with the Holy Spirit, who also went out and brought in others. A dead church came vibrantly alive when the fire of the Lord filled it. In 1954, the same powerful wave of spiritual life flowed out to the dwellers of Argentina's capital city, Buenos Aires, gathering in its flow tens of thousands of the unconverted, and bringing them to the large sports stadium, where the Lord saved and healed them under the ministry of Tommy Hicks. But now, some months later, the impetus of this grand awakening had already subsided. Of the wave of fire that had swept the city, only embers and coals remained. Had Argentina truly accepted that powerful wave? Or had she rejected it? Was the revival awakening in Buenos Aires the end of this powerful wave promised by the angel? Had God withdrawn this wave as he had warned he would do if Argentina rejected it? Could we expect God to move in other Argentine cities as he had in Mendoza, City Bell, and Buenos Aires? Deeply pondering these questions, our small evangelistic party of five stood on the large, empty platform of the still-emptier sports stadium we had rented in the seacoast town of Nicochea for an 11-day healing campaign. Unfortunately, none of our group, which included three national workers, my wife and me, was a renowned healing evangelist. All were but members of God's corps of unknown are-nots. Would anyone come to the meetings? Would God work in Necochia as he had in Buenos Aires? Would he heal, work miracles, 
Would anyone receive the Lord as Savior? Or would we be laughed out of town in humiliating defeat? Questions, fears, and doubts as snarling wolves assailed us. And the still greater unanswered questions stabbed at us. Would revival fires continue to burn in Argentine cities? Would this powerful wave of divine life continue to flow as God had promised? He did not strive nor cry, neither did any man hear his voice in Necochea's streets. Yet the lowly Nazarene healed her sick and forgave her sinful. With no spectacular blaring of heralding trumpets or ringing of high priestly bells, the master of men moved silently among the people, healing the sick, speaking peace to the troubled, and binding up the wounded. Word spread quickly from one person to another. When the meetings began, only a few curious seekers straggled in. After a few nights, the stadium was crowded. When the 500 chairs were filled, many people were obliged to stand. All classes of people were represented, the high degree and the low degree, and all the degrees in between. Side by side, they stood on the common ground of sickness and suffering, torment and tragedy. Doctors, lawyers, merchants, thieves, atheists, Catholics, witchcraft devotees and charlatans, idolaters and spiritists, the sincere and the scoffing, the needy and the two needlers, the curious and the complaining, the desperate and the derisive, a heterogeneous whole upon which the Spirit of the Lord began to breathe. Each night was the same. When we gave the invitation for those desiring salvation, every hand went up. Carefully, we clarified the request, concluding that the people hadn't understood. Again, the same hands were raised. The invitation and the response were repeated several times. Finally, we asked only those who were truly and sincerely desirous of giving their hearts to the Lord to come forward. Nearly the entire congregation came. If giving yourself to Jesus was part of the process of receiving healing, all were more than willing. As the people gathered around the platform, I explained how to accept Christ as Savior. Nodding their assent, they repeated carefully each line of the sinner's prayer. Because they responded to the invitation for salvation each succeeding night, I questioned how they could give themselves to the Lord so many times. Their naive answer astounded us. We know we have already given ourselves to the Lord, but we must continue coming, for each time we come, we receive more. Our bulwark of long years of established theology began to tumble as we realized that these people were reaching up to God from the depths of a very deep darkness, and it was a long way up. Our prayers were the bridge that God was using to bring them to himself. As they responded each succeeding night to the invitation, their faith and understanding grew. As the people stood before me in the prayer line, I was acutely conscious of the great evil in their lives. Adultery, lying, rebellion, vice, and filth of every kind. But even greater was my realization of the tremendous love and mercy of Jesus, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. 
Jesus came not to condemn, but to show mercy, not to find fault, but to justify, not to blame, not to reprove, but to forgive. Although it meant remaining with the people until the early hours of the morning, I prayed for each one individually. The unchurched, ungodly crowd gathered around me, some smoking, others half drunk. All were pagan sinners. As I laid hands on each one to pray for healing, I asked God for pardon, not for justice or judgment. The sinners came just as they were in their hearts, a poignant longing that they couldn't put into words, a wordless cry, which is best expressed in the words of the old song, just as I am without one plea, one excuse or defense, simply conscious of a deep need they couldn't define or express. They were desperately reaching out to someone to help them. In mercy, God spoke words of comfort and deliverance. Cognizant that virtue was flowing out to them, I knew it was not because of me or because of them. It was because of the tremendous flow of the merciful kindness of the Lord. My natural thinking was to tell them to clean up their lives first, then to come to Calvary's fountain for benefits. But the will of the Almighty was to first, quote, mercy them, unquote, then later to cleanse them or to do the two things simultaneously, tremendously conscious of ministering in his spirit of mercy, I only desired to cover them. As Ruth of old, they cried out, Spread therefore thy skirt over us, and the merciful one spread his skirt over them and covered their nakedness. He washed them thoroughly with water and anointed them with oil. He clothed them with broidered work and girded them with fine linen and covered them with silk. He entered into a covenant with them, and they became his. The great need of these people pulled up my heart. The deep yearnings and compassions of the Holy Spirit flooded me. I longed to bring them a few drops of water from the great river of life, a few drops of blood from that flowing fountain. Laying hands on them one by one, I could only pray, Lord, forgive. This was the hour of mercy for guilty sinners who had aforetime only vaguely known a God of judgment and vengeance, a big God with a big stick. It was an hour of mercy for ignorant ones who had never before had a Bible in their hands, nor the God of the Bible in their hearts. It was an hour of mercy for pagans who worshipped charms and fetishes and idols, yet had never known Jesus Christ as Savior from sin and sickness. Others, already healed, returned to the prayer line and waited patiently for hours just to express their gratitude for what God had done or to give a glorious testimony of deliverance. One woman, deeply moved, threw herself into the arms of the national worker, sobbing, You brought me to the Lord. I found salvation from my sins, and I'll never cease to be grateful. Sarah, a Catholic girl, came through the prayer line to laugh and scoff. She requested prayer for an intestinal disorder. 
when in reality her true need was much greater, impelled by a spirit of fear, which took her into mental unbalance. She had completely withdrawn from society and was on the verge of being committed to an asylum. As the word of knowledge revealed her true need, she began to weep, admitting that it was true. How did you know? she asked. It was God who knew, and he who revealed it brought her the true healing that she needed and restored her to health. Many times the Lord gave enlightenment concerning the lives of different ones. To the people it was perfectly logical. If the Lord Jesus could heal them, surely he could likewise speak and reveal their deep inner needs to the pastor. Sometimes one person would comment to another, Oh, you don't have to tell the pastor all that's wrong with you. He'll know. There was a childlike acceptance of the supernatural. Esther was a comrade in arms with her husband and son in a family of loud-mouthed, knife-wielding, contentious brawlers who often terrified the neighbors by chasing one another down the streets, shouting, cursing, and brandishing knives. Even the police were afraid of them. Each one in this family was as bad as the other, and the combination of them all created a home atmosphere of constant contention and turmoil. One night, the drinking mother came to the stadium for healing. Not only did the Lord heal her, but he saved her as well. The transformation in her life was so great that her unsaved husband insisted that she continue to attend the evangelical services, which had benefited her so greatly. The former inciter became an intercessor, and she waited before the Lord for the fulfillment of his promise, Thou shalt be saved and thy house. Widow Donya Valeria was completely broken down in health, lonely, and discouraged until she came one night to the stadium for healing. Overnight, God healed her of her many afflictions and transformed her into a mother in Israel to the new believers. One evening, as she was kneeling by her bedside praying, she was surprised to find herself weeping. Pastor, she said, I just don't know what's wrong with me. It's never been this way before. I can't even pray. All I do is cry. I smiled and explained to her that God was giving her the spirit of grace to repent, and that this was the operation of the Holy Spirit in her heart. Dania Valeria had come to the stadium seeking help, which she found. The spirit of the living God came to her bringing salvation, which she received. A deep spiritual hunger drew Edna to the stadium services. As she prayed, she received an outstanding visitation of the Spirit of the Lord. When she received the Holy Spirit, a light appeared to her in the shape of a rose. As she continued to seek the Lord in the months that followed, the light continued to increase until one day an angel appeared to her and taught her biblical truths she had never learned and foretold things which later came to pass. Her ungodly husband had beaten her many times before, but now when he felt the presence of the Lord that surrounded her, he was afraid and never again tried to beat her. Although a very serious surgical operation had made further childbearing utterly impossible, the angel told her that she would give birth to a baby boy. 
In due time, the boy child was born, just as the angel had foretold, and the angelic visits diminished and later ceased altogether. One elderly widow, Josephine, was known by all her neighbors and the police as a troublemaker. Always in arguments, disputes, and difficulties with her neighbors and the police, she had long ago made a battle axe name for herself. At the stadium, Josephine was saved and healed, and her character began to change completely. When at the close of the evangelistic campaign, the infant church began to be established, the former woman-at-arms laid down all her verbal weapons and quietly offered her home for church services. Due to atheistic professors and scientific studies, Don Godofredo, who had been Catholic as a child, became utterly indifferent and unbelieving as regards to any type of religion. In the vacuum that followed the loss of his faith, he began a diligent search for truth through philosophy, science, materialism, and oriental religions. But truth evaded him. He would have continued to completely reject the very thought of God, but for three questions which greatly tormented him. Is good rewarded and evil punished after death? Will Christ return to the earth as promised? Will the world be destroyed as the holy scriptures foretell? The Frenchman continued his search. Thinking that the Bible might give him some answers, he began extensive study, diligently consulting every commentary he could find. But after twelve years, he was no nearer to the answers, no closer to God than when he began to search. Through disciplined study of the Bible, he sought God with his mind as a critic and not with his heart as a believer. To his natural mind, the Bible was contradictory, absurd, and confusing, and full of incredible legends. He titled it The Divine Comedy. Dissatisfied with his unsuccessful search for God and gravely ill with a heart condition produced by the medicines he had taken to relieve the acute articular rheumatism pains he suffered, he realized that death was near. When he learned that God was healing and working miracles through the evangelical pastors in Nekochia, he concluded that the coming of Jesus and the end of the world must be very near. He sent his wife to the stadium services, saying sarcastically, Go on and become an evangelical, then you'll leave the liquor bottle exclusively for me. The next night she persuaded him to accompany her, saying, This is the true God, the God whom you've been seeking for years. Don Godofredo found God in the stadium, and this is his testimony. Quote, Never before had Christ been presented like this. Before, I tried to believe, but my heart was cold and empty without any feeling at all. But as Pastor Miller prayed for me, something moved within me, something awakened. Christ himself was talking to me, and for the first time in my life I really believed. Why should I further seek my beautiful Christ in the religions of India? He was so near that I found myself saying, O oh God, give me a new heart, a heart full of love and free from all evil, a heart which I will dedicate to you for your service, a heart which shall only desire to do your will. An indescribable ardor surged up within me, a heat as of a flame. I knew that God had heard me. Now when I open the Holy Bible, nothing seems incredible or impossible, 
ridiculous, contradictory, or legendary. It is no more a book of fables. It is his word, the truth, written by his inspired holy prophets. No longer do I seek to understand God through reason and analysis. He is the way. I know. I believe. No longer do I listen to the devil who whispers lies in my ears. He flees from me when I arise in faith against the lies which he hurls at me in his attempt to get me to draw away from God. He can't rule me any longer, for Christ is my king. He is with me all the time and lives in my heart. He accepted me as his child, and he pardoned my sins and healed me. No longer will I search for him in science or philosophy, for I have found him and my life has been changed. As a curious one, I entered the stadium. As a transformed one, I went out. You know, there are some common themes in these stories that are so powerful. The mercy of God coming on those who are undeserving. A total change occurring in the compassion and love of Jesus. Why are we not experiencing this in the American church? That's troubling to me. It is troubling, but I thought one of the things that we just read was about how the people came to the meeting and even though they didn't have any religious background, they were very aware of their need. And they didn't have any excuses. They knew they were sinners. Yes. And they were desperate. So if Jesus could help them, then they were willing to receive Jesus. It was simple. That simplicity we've confused here in America. We've taken the mercy of God and misused it for our own benefit, seemingly. But it's no benefit to us. What exactly do you mean by that? It's as one man we've dealt with continually. He wants to be a Christian for what he can get out of God. So he's willing to do a whole number of things. Attend church regularly, almost. Give offering or tithe. Walk away from the alcohol, walk away from fornication, uh, still hidden sexual sin, but basically he's cleaned up a lot in his life because he says, God is the only one who can do for me what I need to have done. And so when confronted, are you serving God for what you can get? He'll say, Oh, no. But in reality, that's what he's doing. And so he doesn't have a heart tender toward Jesus. It's quid pro quo. It's a business deal. So his heart is not a warrior's heart for the kingdom of Jesus. It's not a heart of love and tenderness that flows out. It's a cold heart, a calculating heart. I think part of that, too, is these people in Argentina who were coming, they didn't feel like they deserved something 
And I think this man who you're speaking of, he feels like he does deserve it. And so there's an ingratitude. And that's really a block to, well, first of all, to conversion, but second of all, to that compassion and tenderness of heart that you're speaking about. So, in effect, we have many today who are not converted, but they're Christians for some small benefits they can derive. But they still love the world. They still want to participate in the Super Bowl. They still want to participate in the foolish conversation. They still want to participate in, in getting ahead in life and living their life the way they choose, looking basically like the world. Uh, some people in the world go to all of the kayaking events. Others go to all of the bicycling events, the baseball, or whatever it happens. Some people collect salt shakers. Some people go to church. It's a hobby. It's not life-changing. Um, this has to change. And that's why we're doing a revival meeting every Monday night. It's why we're doing one tonight. The mercy of God is going to be there at that meeting. The healing power of God is going to be at that meeting. The kindness of God will be demonstrated at that meeting. But none of that will be available for people who come proud and entitled and who say, I'm not a sinner, and totally unconscious of what their sin is. They're just living their life according to their rules. I'm eager to see I'm eager to see each of you who's listening to this broadcast today become so conscious of your need for Jesus that you will not be able to stay away from this revival meeting. I know there's no other meeting in Washington like this meeting. It's for you. But you have to recognize your need and you have to be willing to go out of your way. You have to be willing come to terms and meet God's conditions and he will meet you. So we meet at We meet at the All Saints Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive. It's right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel. And the doors open at 7. We begin the meeting at 7.30. And children are welcome. You can find all of that information on the webpage revivalnow.church. And if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Ray and Alexandra Greenley, Pilgrim's Progress. And the focus of Pilgrim's Progress is the journey toward heaven, spoken of by John Bunyan in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. But the sharper, tighter focus of that is the desperate need for revival in America and in our churches. Yes. Let's return to the story. 
Were we able to record all the healing testimonies? The long account would weary you. Obviously, the healings were of primary importance only to the persons healed and their immediate families, but we'll record a few of the hundreds that could be given. A certain man had one lung collapsed because of TB. The doctors had inserted eight plastic balls into it. After God had healed him and answered a prayer, he returned to the hospital for an operation to remove the plastic balls. The examination showed that he was well and that the plastic balls had disappeared. A lady who was suffering with asthma was contemplating coming to the surface for healing, but she was dissuaded by a neighbor who told her that it was all from the devil. Shortly afterwards, another person came to her house to talk to her. I was healed, she said. Why don't you try it? After all, you have nothing to lose, and it won't do you any harm. The asthma sufferer obeyed and came to the services, and God healed her. All the members of another family had died of TB, save one young lady. When she attended the meeting, God, in his mercy, healed her. An elderly woman suffered so with heart trouble that she found it difficult to get to the corner bakery, always arriving fatigued and weary. One night in the stadium, God healed her. Despite her advanced age, she hurried to the corner bakery the next morning without any difficulty at all and appeared all smiles, saying, Now say what you will about those stadium services. I know God has healed me. Just look at me now. Why, I feel like dancing a jig. And immediately she proceeded to do so. A middle-aged woman, completely dressed in black, a sign of mourning, came for prayer. As I prayed, she began to tremble and shake, and then walked hesitatingly towards the back of the stadium. Then she suddenly began to cry out, I can see! I can see! Later we learned that she had been totally blind. In spite of several major operations, Doña Lucia still was not well. Rheumatism, liver trouble, asthma, severe vomiting spells, and bloating made her days and nights a continual calvary. When someone told her of the holy mission at the Necochea Stadium, she retorted, If doctors can't do anything, how much less the evangelical pastors? Nevertheless, her friend persuaded her to go anyway. Then God healed and saved Lucia and she discovered that truly Christ can do more than any man can do. After the stadium services had closed, she continued on as a faithful believer in the newly formed church. A mother brought her small child, naked, save for the large sheet in which she was wrapped, her whole body covered with an eczema, which continually itched, wept, and bled. Doctors had been unable to cure her. After prayer, the eczema began to dry up and the itching stopped. The child was completely cured. Traveling from a nearby town, a mother brought her demon-possessed daughter. The child, unable to sleep at night because of repeated attacks, was so nervous that she created a scene wherever she went, pulling things apart and fighting with other children. 
During the campaign, the attacks did not return. Night after night, the child sat attentively through the long services and then played quietly with the other children as we prayed for the sick for several hours more. The demons had been ordered to leave, and they had gone. Another child, possessed by two demons, resisted deliverance for a long time. The demons argued, refusing to come out. Suddenly I realized that I was asking the child questions in English, and the demon, though through the little girl, was answering in perfect Spanish, having understood every word I had said. Even though the child didn't know a word of English, the demons gave her understanding. After a lengthy battle, the two demons left. The people showed an unusual hunger for the word of God and purchased all the Bibles we could obtain. The Bible was once again a bestseller. Before they came to the stadium, the Bible had been an unknown book to them. They had been thoroughly ignorant of its existence or its contents. Come to my house to explain this library of books, the Bible, that I've just purchased, said the elderly man when he invited us to his home to teach him to understand the Bible. Utterly ignorant of any of the biblical characters or even the location of the books of the Bible, this man was one of many others just like him. It could have been said of Nekwachia, the word of the Lord was rare or scarce in those days. Without any admonition from us, the people automatically abandoned their idolatry, which they somehow felt was wrong, and they spontaneously destroyed their images, beads, idols, idol pictures, and fetishes. I'm going to burn my images, said a wife as she appeared one day with her arms full of idols. Her shocked husband, who had also been reared in Catholicism, asked, Why don't you bury them? She promptly replied, I can't, for if I bury them, the field would be contaminated, and the basket as well. So she went out to burn them, just as the Bible taught, though she was ignorant of its teachings on the subject. Lighting candles and offering flowers, the unsaved sister of an evangelical preacher faithfully knelt before a small idol in her home every Friday. A few days before, she at attended the stadium services for the first time. She stood before her idol, preparing the ritual. Somehow she felt she mustn't light the candles and offer the flowers, although she didn't understand why. Somehow it just seemed wrong. Determinedly, she arose, abandoning her idol unadorned. Soon afterward, she gave her heart to the Lord in the stadium. Now I understand, she said, why I abandoned my idol. God was already working in my heart. A famous idol, the Virgin Fatima, had been brought by her priest to Nekochia to bless the stadium and to work miracles. The holy mission of Fatima had ended without any miracles shortly before our campaign began. The local priests, desirous of stopping the meetings and stirred by reports of healings among his parishioners, complained strenuously to the stadium owner, a prosaic businessman. Why do you allow those evangelicals to have services here? When the Virgin just recently blessed this stadium, the priest asked. You are mistaken, Father, replied the owner, who was now convinced that God was truly working miracles among the people. The Virgin didn't bless the stadium at all. She didn't even open her mouth. It was you who blessed it. Furthermore, the stadium is a place of business, open for rental to all who can pay for it. The campaign continued on. Later, word reached us that the airplane carrying the idol had crashed in flames 
destroying the idol and the priests who accompanied it. Obviously, the image was powerless to save either herself or others. Well, we're almost out of time today. We're going to continue tomorrow sharing stories of revival. These stories, they're not going to be repeated exactly, but as I've said earlier, the principles of revival are always the same. God's mercy, repentance, the presence and power to change our lives, to refresh, to restore, to heal. We invite you to come. Is there deep in your heart a hunger for something new with Jesus? Is there something in your heart that says, I know I'm not I'm not right with him. My heart is cold. It's barren. I need Jesus. If so, would you come tonight? The meeting will begin at 7.30. The doors open at 7 o'clock. Again, tell us where it is, Alexandra. It is at the All Saints Church. That is at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's the All Saints Church. 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. And we'll be meeting in the main sanctuary. It's beautiful. Come in the front doors and meet with Jesus. Yes. My brother, my sister, we want you revived in the spirit of the living God. We love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. And you can listen to this message again at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Or go to the other webpage, revivalnow.church. All the information is there. For the meeting. We'll look for you. God bless you. God bless you. We love you. My pillow is now made.